Blog Talk Radio. March 15th, 2010, and welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show. The voice of young adults with cancer. Got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living because the Stupid Cancer Show is here to change the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show, journaling. In our survivor spotlight, Jennifer Goodman Lynn, young adult survivor of MFH sarcoma, the founder of Cycle for Survival. Deborah Ludwig, young adult survivor of leukemia, the author of Rebirth, and the creator of the Writing for Your Life workshop. And Dr. Laura Lieberman, lymphoma survivor, attending radiologist of breast imaging at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, and the author of I Signed as the Doctor. As a reminder, this broadcast is a program of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation, one of the nation's leading grassroots advocates for the nearly 5 million young adult survivors and co-survivors affected by, you guessed it, stupid cancer. On the web at i2y.com, we are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight and sticking it to a system that's ignored us for far too long. Why? Because survival rates and quality of life have not improved in 30 years for young adults. Because remission is no excuse for cure. And because survivorship is all that matters. So hello, my friends, and welcome back to another fun, filling and exciting romp through the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, and a Stupid Cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network, broadcasting live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a 14-year young adult pediatric brain cancer survivor, Joining us live in the studio tonight, as always, our fabulous broadcast production assistant, young adult survivor, Amanda Freeman. Hello, Amanda. Hi, Matt. How you doing? I'm trying to not kill myself before. Um, I would suggest continuing that agenda. Okay. But if you did, I wouldn't care. You're not allowed to speak until I introduce you. Quiet, Jack. Learning how not to be spoken to spoken to until spoken Hi, to. Hi, everybody. Nice to see you tonight. Yeah. Quiet, Jack. <laughs> oh, wait. I'm sorry. I thought that was my introduction. <laughs> Joining Amanda and I, we've got our chief cancer anarchist, Jack Bupard. You can talk now. Fantastic. Jack will be monitoring our live, interactive, concurrent chat room. So if you have something to say about the show, take it up with him. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Jack. It's good to be here. <laughs> Thank you for having me back. <laughs> and, of course, please welcome my official partner in crime here on the Stupid Cancer Show, hailing from... Right here in New York City, 
fellow 14-year young adult breast cancer survivor, acclaimed journalist, former deputy editor of TV Guide, and former entertainment news correspondent for the Fox News Channel, the lovely, beautiful, and talented Lisa Bernard. Wow. What are you smoking? Thank you for that. Hi. Hi. You want some? And Hi. Your, and your head is still in the way of her, no matter where your you are in this so office, damn Jack. Big. I thought I had a big head, Jack. Well, Move your damn pumpkin head out of the way. It's, Jesus. It's full of... Oh, never mind. Oh. Are we going to reveal something secret about Jack today? dum dum dum. <laughs> Wait, what? No, don't forget. I am so smart. Yes. SMRT. <laughs> is Dr. Schumacher in the house? Dr. Schumacher's <laughs> making me smarter by the minute. Fantastic. <laughs> right, fantastic. So, how the hell are you? We're great. We're great. We're having so much fun tonight. The show hasn't even started. We've got all these guests in studio. It's been a party already. It's been fantastic. Yeah, and for our listeners out there, this is, um, I think it is only, it's the second of the year, but I think it's the second of all time. So we've actually had all of our guests physically here in the studio. So We love it. It's just, it's interesting to have everyone here. There's yes. a kinetic energy, there's a karma, uh, and unfortunately, all kinds of but Jack is still here. Yeah, and I was going to say. Reading Kanishas. No, we're not. Sorry, I don't this know. Are you keeping the alliteration going with the kinetic <laughs> the, 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 the case, Okay. Yes. This is the first time when I'm almost, I'm, I'm almost totally here mentally. <laughs> <laughs> is that because I'm married and you're single and the rest are women? Uh, is that why I'm sweating? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, actually, Matt, it has to do with the fact that I'm with a bunch of women and an ugly guy. Uh, don't make fun of Amanda like that. <laughs> Oh. She's, she's, God, taking, she's the punching bag tonight. She really is. Look at her. Well, she's good. so sweet, too. How does it feel? Gosh. So as opposed to the opposite of the, uh, the Ed Sullivan Theater, this, this studio gets hot and gets hotter. Instead of, right. uh, it's the opposite of most theaters. Yes, it is. Like Letterman, right, the Ed Sullivan Theater, like you mentioned, like Letterman, they keep it freezing yeah. to stay on your toes. We yeah. just sloth around. We do. We're going to be all, we're going to lose <laughs> like, weight being here. Like sweaty pigs. It's just like stupid cancer show for survival. <laughs> <laughs> My makeup's already running. Exactly. <laughs> but Matt, I have a question for Wait, you. I, but I got permission today from the office, from the building, we can actually buy a standalone air conditioner. No way. Yeah, we'll have to tie it into the sink, but honestly, we'll be able to chill the room down. And then Schmitz by an hour later. <laughs> Tied into the sink? Yeah, it has to drain. It's an air conditioner. Right. Yeah. Not a sprinkler. It's not going to give okay. me cancer, is it? <laughs> Everything gives you cancer, dude. <laughs> oh. oh. So what else is going on? Well, Actually, Matt, I have a question for you. <laughs> okay, go ahead. What the hell is up with your profile picture on Facebook? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> it is frightening. If anyone hasn't uh, seen it by now, um, the, my profile picture on Facebook is me holding a, a large gun. Oh. Wait, what? It's a, an Uzi uh, of some sort. I'm not a gun expert. I was going to say, it's the first time you had a large gun in your hand, right? That's fantastic. Uh. Anyway, um, ignoring that, I was going to say that Amanda was my date on Friday night um, because we were invited to a special fundraiser being held by a lovely young uh, woman here in the city who's one of our newest fans. Her name is Curran Katz. Curran put together an incredibly unique uh, fundraising event for her friends and uh, it all started out at an armory of guns. And I walked in, and all there was was a giant bank vault full of guns. And Amanda was like, Matt, I'm just an intern. What are you doing to me? I have, I have a question. And you, said, and you said, if cancer doesn't kill you, this will. Exactly. Boom. I have a question. Yeah. So you walked into this vault full of guns, and did you take out some money and say, hand over your guns? <laughs> You're not even oh. approaching funny. I thought it was funny. 
anyway, it turns How out. How long did you work on that? About ten seconds. <laughs> As it turns out, I found this because I'm a I'm a I'm a total star fucker and I love movies and I love entertainment and film. And yes, you can say star fucker on the Stupid Cancer Show. Yes. FCC be damned. My point is that if you are a director of a film being produced anywhere east of the Mississippi, and you want firearms in your movie, you get them from this location in Manhattan. That's a cool thing. And that room that is showcased there is the showroom of every gun from every era in gun history. You guys look like Bonnie and Clyde in there. Yeah. So basically the directors and the cinematographers and the writers, they show up at this place, and they say, well, we're doing a gangster movie, so we need Tommy guns. So they go through the showroom, and they pick the, the three guns from the 30s that they like, and then they go down to the armory, because this is just the vault. The armory has thousands of every type of gun, and what's interesting even more, of course, none of them work. They all fire blanks. Yeah. But they have... As do some cancer survivors. Oh, shut up. And... <laughs> okay. You know what? I'm gonna, we're going to give it to the booth for that one. All right. Nice. Oh. Nicely done. If that's the case, then he has to get one of these. <laughs> Can I just get to, like the Pee Wee Herman or something? <laughs> okay. He earns that. But anyway, my point is that they hollow out all the bullets. I mean, they hollow out all the, all the whatever they're called, um, the, the shafts. The shells. Shells. Yeah, right? and like they, they widen the shafts of all the guns, so like the bullets, even if Quiet you put real check. bullets in. Yeah. Okay. Speaking okay. of widening shafts, just walk right into that. But they, they're, they're, they, they, by law, if you're putting a, uh, they're not prop guns, they're real guns. Yeah. They weigh like 30 pounds, some of them. They're heavy steel iron guns. But they, they engineer them in a way that it's, they're in, incapable of firing live ammunition. You know, though, but they can be very dangerous. There was an actor named John Eric Hexham who put a blank up to the te- his temple and fired it on the set of a uh, film set that he was shooting. This was like at least a decade ago, and he died. Right. Yes. Well, that's just plain dumb. You, well, you're well, not supposed to do that yes, anyway. But didn't, didn't uh, Brandon but Lee die that yeah, way? Just because they don't, yes, they don't have bullets in them, obviously. Right, right. Doesn't mean but, that that's a, but that's safe. the thing. When a gun fires a blank... And I only learned this by being there, and Amanda was there, and she can attest to this. Apparently, when, when a bullet is in a gun, and you fire the gun, an explosion propels the bullet out, obviously. Mm-hmm. But when you're firing a blank, the, it's the opposite way, where the explosion happens on the outside, and it pushes the, the, fire, it pushes the fire out, not the bullet, but the, but the blank stays in the gun. Okay. It's like a really weird thing. So it's an incredibly, really drilling in this, but it's just an incredibly engineering phenomenon that they were going through. And these guys were passionate about these guns. He knew every gun, this is the one that Angelina Jolie used and wanted. This is the one that, you know, uh, John Wayne used in this movie. This is the Davy Crockett rifle from this movie. That's you neat. Need, yeah, this that's, is the Men in Black gun. So cool. This is the, the Independence Day gun. Fantastic. Wow. So very long answer to a very nice short field question. That's you guys had. Yeah. Yeah, Amanda violent, was like, but, you know. very violent. But then it ended up with this very unique sort of, um, I don't know. Amanda, how would you describe that, that space? Run, it, Amanda, run. It's almost indescribable, but it was just uh, really fascinating. It made me think of like um, a 1920s parlor out in the West where it's like the antler chandelier. Yes, there was I an mean, antler chandelier. And the red leather sofa. Yes. It, 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 was, it was very like, um, you know, like, uh, the, the rich hunters, though, you yes. know, the... Yes, yes. Sounds like hunters. Iowa. No, no, no. It was an anachronism. The physical space was just like a social anachronism. It didn't make any sense, but it was lovely. Yes, it was lovely. And they had um, jalapeno tequila. Wow. What? Yes, it was fantastic. It just got a lot lovelier. Yes. Yeah. They were dangerous, and um, 
It's a good thing we had to go because I could have had four more. <laughs> yes, she could have. She was it was good. It was good. Anyway, so that's that's sort of um, that's my gun show <laughs> story from Friday guns night. And booze. But it, I, again, I'm a movie buff. I love movies. The idea that every film that's shot east of the Mississippi has to go to this place to pick their guns and like, oh, we'll have this, this, and this, and then they go downstairs to like this full city block underground. Of remember, like in the Matrix, when they say, "What do you need?" He goes, "Guns, lots of guns." <laughs> like that is exactly what it was. It was crazy. That's awesome. So, um, I, I do want to make a quick note about the OMG Summit. Everyone is really a buzz about the upcoming OMG Summit, the third annual OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults, coming up on Sunday, May 23rd. We have officially secured our hotel room blocks, and we'll be going public in about a week for people to pre register themselves at the hotels in anticipation of registering on the uh, on the website for the conference. Uh, we get a lot of questions in here. Thanks, Jack, for that comment in the chat room there. But, which uh, which we, one? Yes, the one, exactly. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, the one about you firing blank? Yes, thank you. With my wife in the chat room. Oh, thank God for IVF. And her twins at seven months, exactly. So anyway, but... And I totally forgot where I was going with that. But it You're talking about pre-registering OMG, to be my roommate yeah. at the OMG site. Yeah, I'm going to be your roommate. But most people don't, don't realize this or didn't ask or whatever, but the conference is free. We're not charging any cancer survivors or anyone at all to pay to come to a cancer conference, and that's our philosophy. So we hope that we can make it as affordable as possible to people that are around the country and in Canada that want to come. And uh, there are some great airfares, and you'll have at least six weeks to plan it. You can use kayak or orbits. Um, there are so many different airports to fly into in New York, including Islip in Long Island, which no one knows about. I've never, Long Island? I've never even heard of that. Yeah, exactly. Islip. Cindy Sotomayor lives in, in uh, Long Island. And Ferrado. White yeah. Plains Airport in Westchester? Yeah, but that's actually, if you're flying to Islip, you can hop right on the Long Island Railroad, okay. right there. Ice right, is kind of a little tougher to get. White planes is a little tougher. And if you fly into LaGuardia, you can take the bus to Harlem like I did coming back from uh, from Denver last week. Yes, exactly. That was a good time. Yeah. So, but just just a note about the the OMG summit. We will be announcing the hotel block and launching a page of um, travel tips and tricks. And if people want to pair up in hotel rooms, we encourage that. It's very cheap. We got rates down as low as $129 a night, which may sound like a lot for, for Iowa. For New York City? But for New York City, $129 a night is rock Unheard bottom Unheard of, cheap. pretty yeah. much. And it's not infested with cockroaches. No, it really isn't. Anyway, so that's, um, that's that. One other item before we talk about Zac Efron is uh, we're liquidating um, our bracelets from Amazon. We're selling them on Loser Kids, but we're liquidating our bracelets from Amazon. We're ending that relationship so as a result, we are um, selling our 10-packs for $5 instead of 10 So you can get two-for-one at Amazon uh, for our wristbands. If any of you are participating in the Zac Efron um, TwitPic photo competition, this is a great opportunity to, to snatch them up and uh, do your group shots by the deadline of April 1st. Um, to buy your uh, bracelets on Amazon, the link is amazon.i2y.com. So that's our... Two for one sale on Amazon to liquidate our bracelets. A steal. A bargain. It's a bargain. It's a bargain. Yeah. So what else is going on? Oh, you're wearing. You're gonna. We have to say goodbye to Jack. Actually, yeah, Bye, this Jack. is actually going to be my last show because I will be passing away on Saturday. <laughs> because I am doing the New York City half marathon and have done nothing, <laughs> nothing to trade for it. <laughs> It's 13.1 miles. I'm trying to swallow the water. I can't. <laughs> and Matt gave me my Team Stupid Cancer t-shirt today, and I said, 
this is the last t-shirt I will ever wear. It's his death shroud. Have you done any training for this? Seriously, have you done any training at all? Well, let me tell you about this, Lisa. Go ahead. <laughs> I ran out to the mailbox the other day. Right. And I ran back and tripped over my steps. So I said, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> so then this morning, I figured, you know, sleep in Monday. It's my usual ritual. I wake up at like 10 o'clock and then I take my time coming to the city or whatever. I said, you watch I'm, Oprah. Right. Isn't some, there an Oprah no, he watches watching The Bachelor. Ritual? No, oh. sometimes. No, Bachelor, okay. Bachelor ended two weeks ago, my friend. Um, <laughs> clearly. Matt. But anyway. Come on. That's what not a planet planet am I on? Jeez. So Go anyway. Ahead. So yeah. I said, you know what? I think I'm going to start training considering that this half marathon is in six days. And I looked out the window and I saw puddles and rain. And I said, there's no, hell, there's no way in hell I'm going outside right now. Let me tell you something. Sometimes it rains during marathons. Do you know that? There can be puddles. Really? And it can be wet. But then my shoes would get wet. Yes. And then my socks will get wet. Shorts. And then my feet will get wet. T-shirt. All wet. Yeah, well, that's the thing is, you know, when I'm doing this half marathon, I can't have my Bluetooth headset and my phone get wet. You know what? I just have this visual in my head because, you know, after, what is it, like after three hours, they send the bus to pick up all the people who haven't finished yet. The wagon. Oh, yeah. And right. I, I, in my mind, it's a locomotive with a cow catcher in front, <laughs> and it's just going to scoop Jack up uh-huh. and push him off. At the mile road. two. <laughs> he's going to be at the finish line. No, he's going to be at the starting line. You know what it is? You're gonna, you might as well just, why don't you start the race at the finish line? Well, see, you know what? I, I, I'm trying to figure this out because I looked at the course map online today, and you basically do this big loop around Central Park, and then you go out into the streets. So I'm thinking if I just run across the park, <laughs> then I can You'll I, head them off you know the path. You know what? Here's a better I, idea. Why don't you pull like a Rosie Ruiz and maybe there's a subway or a bus that you can hop. Yeah. And if you just go in, put a paper bag over your head or something <laughs> with the eyes punched out, no one will know you. They won't know it's you. And then you'll show up and you'll just, you know, huffing and puffing across the finish line. You know, like Jack calls those Tuesdays. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In fact, the other day when I went to McDonald's to get my two Big Macs and two vanilla shakes, there was a long line at the drive-thru. I had to get out of my car and run into the restaurant. So Jack's gained about 15 pounds training for this race. He really has. Yeah. Don't, don't get me started on the 5,050-calorie pizza you want to eat in front of me. <laughs> yeah, and that's the beauty of living – well, I don't live in Manhattan, but I feel like I do. But going out to eat in Manhattan on a regular basis is New York City has a law that says that restaurants have to show the calories on their menus. Yeah, I, so, they don't do that in Iowa. So, No. No. They actually put, they say you don't have enough calories and pour ranch dressing all over your slice of pizza. But that's not important right now. Or your fried mayonnaise balls dipped in butter. So, so Matt, Matt and I went to Uno's with a couple people. And is this a cancer show? This is Jack's marathon training strategy. Lost. And I said, so we're like, we're like commenting on what has you know, higher calorie counts than others. And I said, I'm going to order the highest caloric menu item there is. And it ended up being a 5,000-calorie pizza, pers- <laughs> a personal-sized pizza that was just, like, smothered in cheese and meat and grease and wholesome nutrition and yummy goodness. And Have you been listening to any of our shows? No, That's no. Diet nutrition or anything? <laughs> so, in fact, you know what? I think I'm going to get one on my way back to Grand Central tonight. <laughs> He's on the pro-cancer diet. You deserve yeah. to pass away this Saturday. All right, well, Sorry. anyway, real quick, just the Zach Efron thing. The ZachGivesBack.com is taking off. We've been... Picked up in a whole bunch of blogs again. Cosmo Girl. Cosmo Girl. We were Tonic. on Tonic. Um, uh, you pitched it to whom? Or can we not talk about we that? We don't want to say yet. Okay. Because we, we have things pending. Oh, was it Tiger Beat? Tell me it was Tiger Beat. I would love to see my picture of my Tiger Beat. Don't make fun of Tiger Beat. 
Tiger Breeze. You would love to see a picture we, of Tiger Yeah, Breeze. we really would. We really uh, would. I'll hang myself kidding? up on my own bedroom wall. I know. Right. I'm sure you do. But in any case, we've been getting sales from Brazil, Singapore, China, Italy, Germany. I got a question in today. Do they ship to Thailand? Nice. So and yeah, so people are actually ordering them. Deliver them to Thailand. Yeah, right. And there's, I forget. There's an all girls college in in Washington. I forget. I have it in my email. I forget. Jack's making oh, that delivery, delivery personally. Is I that, that D.C. or state? No, Washington State. No problem. And there's like a bunch of sororities that are teaming up to buy however many to do. Go ahead, choke it on my water. Go ahead, go ahead, Boof. It's all yours. To do this group shot in the field somewhere, the quad somewhere. I don't know what it's going to look like, and quite honestly, when we launched it, obviously people bought them, but it takes a couple of days for them to arrive. Right. So we'll see. I may extend it to April 15th, just in case some don't start, because we got our first picture today, but I don't want to start posting them until I have a few. Oh, we did get our first picture yeah, today. Yeah, but I want to... Oh, wait, of a sorority? Anyway, on that note... <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's... Uh, right. So Zach Gives Back is the Zach Efron Twit Pick photo competition to take the largest group shot of people wearing our wristbands, and you could win... A two hundred and fifty dollar iTunes gift card goes a long way on iTunes. It does. It does, it especially does. when you're downloading High School Musical. It'll buy you the yeah. entire Who's the Boss and Cosby Show collection on DVD. Sweet. But it won't get you Homer Simpson slippers. No, it won't get you Homer Simpson slippers. All right. All right. Well, let's... we have guests here actually. Yeah, but I want. They have no they might... idea where the hell they point, are. At a certain point, they might want to go home. And well, maybe we should have them talking before they make the decision that they want to go home. But on the bright side, my microphone will be taken away when these guests come on the air. So. Yes. Yeah, so, right, so let's just breeze through your news here and, uh, and all that good stuff. So. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Alrighty, during this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announce worthy news stories and listen to Jack Buffard stammer through a series of special announcements to let our listeners know about a whole bunch of stuff you might otherwise not know about. And we don't want you missing out on the free young adult stuff like conferences, happy hours, retreats, scholarships, support groups, music concerts, and more. So if you have something coming up that you'd like to hear our audience know about during this segment, please fax it to us at 877-794-6902 or send Jack an email at jack at i2y.com. Take it away, brother. Thank you, Matthew. All right, folks, head on over to events.i2y.com. Events.i2y.com is your one-stop shop for all stupid cancer events happening nationwide. Stay in the loop because something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we wouldn't want you missing out on it, especially if I'm not going to be there. Surviving Idol is an upcoming talent show for young adults affected by cancer. Show off your talent by entering your submission at survivingidol.com. All right, folks, being that I lack both the time and the intelligence to share with you all the great stuff we have happening in the Young Adult Cancer Universe, I have created the Boof News blog. Everyone needs to check out boofnews.i2y.com. That's B-O-O-F.i2y.com for the official list of all stupid cancer news resources. These include surveys, exercise programs, writing workshops, peer services, and fertility resources. Now, that being said, I do want to make everybody aware, especially all the ladies out there, that our friends at Can't Make a Dream are offering ovarian cancer and women's cancer retreats uh, in May, September, and uh, third one in September. So um, head on over to campdream.org. This is a fabulous free program for all of our women survivors out there. And finally, folks, to close the news, everyone needs to head on over to 70k.org. That's the word 70, the letter K.org. There are approximately 70,000 people aged 15 to 39 diagnosed with cancer every year. 
For over two decades, there has been little or no improvement in survival for this age group. By signing this bill, you are supporting the Adolescent and Young Adult Cancer Bill of Rights to be established as a standard for care to meet this underserved population. And that, my friends, is your Stupid Cancer News. I keep miscuing everything. I'm just going to start this up again. Here we go. Much better. Something's going on with my computer tonight. 924. In our Survivor Spotlight tonight, in December 2004, Jennifer Goodman Lynn, marketing executive and fitness enthusiast, was diagnosed with MFH sarcoma, a rare soft tissue cancer. For the past five years, she's endured three relapses, four surgeries, and over 25 months of chemo. Nice job. Throughout her cancer treatment, um, she has never stopped exercising. You, you already beat Jack to the punch, my God. And she typically credits indoor cycling and spinning with, with giving her the strength and the endurance to survive, and I can attest to that. She decided to combine her passion for marketing with her passion for exercise and founded Cycle for Survival, an indoor team cycling fundraiser that focuses on raising funds for a broad range of rare cancers. And I emphatically stress rare cancers, which has raised almost $4 million for research. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, my friend Jennifer goodman Lynn. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We're thrilled, and Matt, can I just say, first of all, we have uh, some corrections from the fact-checking department here, first and foremost. She endured four relapses, four surgeries, and over 30 months of chemo and has raised over $4.5 million for research. So you edited the document that you sent me for her to make me look like that. She's allowed. Unfortunately, I sent you that document last month, and a lot's been going on. Oh, my God. (laughs) We raised a lot of money. You're a moving target. We can't have moving targets on this show. an enterprising woman. (laughs) All right. Well, all right. Then I'm entirely wrong, and now Lisa's just in charge of you. Go ahead. Oh. Jennifer, all right. Good night, everyone. Yeah. Bye, Matt. <laughs> Thanks. We'll take it from here. Thank you very much. No, start out and t- tell us your story. Tell us uh, your diagnosis and your treatments and, and sure. fill us in. Um, I was diagnosed about five and a half years ago with a very rare type of cancer called MFH sarcoma, which is a soft tissue cancer. And um, I found out about it because I just started to get night sweats and fevers. And my husband and I were um, thinking about starting a family at that time. And I started to notice I was getting fevers all the time. And... Um, basically um, found out that I had some blood work issues, and long story short, I had a tumor the size of a football in my stomach. Wow. And um, since then, I've um, fortunate be, um, basically been cured five times, but the cancer comes back. Right. So I've been dealing with it for five and a half years now, and unfortunately, I just found out last month that I relapsed for the fifth time. So I'm a five-time survivor now. <laughs> Absolutely. We don't like relapses here. Yeah, we don't like them at all. Explain for folks what soft tissue uh, cancer means exactly. Right, so I guess that there are broad types of cancers. There's blood cancers like lymphoma and leukemia. There's organ cancers like breast cancer, lung cancer. And then there's this broad classification of kind of muscle and tissue cancers. And soft tissue sarcoma fits within those. It's, it's a very not rare a cancer. tumor. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there are less than 10,000 cases a year. Wow. So what's, and the treatment that you've been through, uh, tell, tell us about that. Sure. So the best way to handle or the best protocol for me is to um, use chemotherapy to shrink the tumor and then surgery to remove it. So I've been through three different chemo cocktails for um, periods as, as short as three months to as long as 16 months at a time. And um, I've had, I'm going about to have my fifth abdominal surgery where they basically cut, cut open your middle, take a lot of stuff out, dissect your colon, put it back together and... Good to go. Wow. <laughs> and you're spinning and cycling and fit through all of this. 
I, uh, How has that worked? I made a joke with my doctor that uh, I can be bald or fat, but not both. So uh, he decided to, unfortunately, the treatments may, you know, make me lose my hair, but I will never I can be both. exercise. <laughs> um, so uh, for me, psych- yeah. I've always loved exercise, yeah. and I think it took on a whole different meaning when I was diagnosed. It was my one hour during the day that I could you know, do everything in my power to fight against this dreadful disease. And cycling in particular really spoke to me because I couldn't run anymore. I used to love running. It was too high impact for me. Mm -hmm. And for anyone who's been on a stationary bike or spinning, it's it's a great workout, but it's low impact. And every day, you know, it's, it's, you're not competing with other people. It's all about you against yourself. So, um, so when you eat a 5,000 calorie pizza, (laughs) how many cycles for spinning do you have to how many how many months of consecutive spinning must you have to yeah i was gonna say that that might be 13.1 hours of okay you know a half marathon of spinning (laughs) (laughs) no spinning is great spinning is an amazing workout and anyone can do it yeah i always say to people we we purposely created the charity to make it very accessible and easy for everyone so anyone can get on a bike so i met all these great instructors while i was going through my diagnosis and we got together and said let's try and raise some money for these rare cancers like the ones I have that don't get the attention or funding that they need. Sorry, I know we're sitting side by side here and you're looking at me and it just pulls you a bit away from the mic. <laughs> All right, so tell us specifically again. So you met instructors, you went about this, and this is, um, this is you live in New York. So this is in, where does, is this in gyms in New York? Can people do this nationwide and participate? Tell us more about that. Yeah, so, so um, it, it actually is a really fun kind of story. Is I started this four years ago. And um, I became friends with the cycling instructors as I was sick. And I would, you know, wear my bandana to the gym. I still do to this day. And sit in the front row. And little did I know that I was inspiring them because they were inspiring me. And we said, let's do something and get together. And Equinox is my local gym. The Columbus Circle location is mine. And we said, let's get some teams together and raise $10,000. Well, in year one, we raised $200,000. Wow. So, and then, yeah, exactly. Next year, we raised $650,000. We said, we can't believe this. So Amazing. we talked to Equinox, and they loved the, the idea of it and saw the benefit. And now we're expanding across the country. So we're in New York and Chicago now. This past year, we raised $2.5 million for Holy rare crap. cancer research. <laughs> so up to yeah, $4.5 million to date. And um, it's really, really exciting. It's, um, you have the option of either cycling in New York or Chicago, or if you don't live in one of those markets, you can create your own satellite team, which means you can just go to your local gym and say, hey, can me and a few friends share a bike for a few hours? And we've ha- we had over 50 satellite teams from Colombia to Brazil to Canada to Italy riding with us that day. So you go around and you get sponsors, and can you do this on your, your own? Is there one given day where everybody sort of does it together? How, how does that work? So in New York, the, the events tend to be in the end of January because that's when it's ugly out and you don't want to go outside. Um, you can do a satellite team any day of the year. We love, we love the idea of having everyone do it the same day, but if that doesn't work for you, the last thing we want to do is hold you back from raising money for such a worthy cause. So people can do it whenever they want. Yeah. Well, have you thought about? I mean, there's a, Have you thought about doing cycling outdoors at all, or is this strictly spinning? I, mean, I did the AIDS ride for two years in a 300 miles in three days. Whoa. I mean, amazing, but whoa. That's intense. Yeah. That's, that's intense. Your bum's hurting bad, we among did. other things. We thought yeah. about it. I mean, the, I think part of the magic of this event is I call it the lazy man's triathlon. <laughs> so it's very different than what you did, which is very admirable, but it definitely takes amount of or training. No. Or Jack, you know, all the training he's done in the marathon, you know, to run this weekend. It's, um, what I say is anyone can get on a bike. So the whole point of it is to make it as accessible as possible. Right. So um, outdoor cycling is absolutely something we're considering, but it is a little bit harder. In the yeah. last, I'm, my 90-year-old my grandmother rides with me every year. She gets oh, on my right. bike for 10 minutes. She's had two hip replacements, but it makes her feel good. So we want to extend this to as many people as possible. You're making Jack so. feel real bad. 
<laughs> Real bad. Can't wait to check in Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, you know, this show is all about showcasing people who get busy living, and cancer is a chronic disease, cancer is a lifestyle, you know, survivorship is the cure. Really, what you're choosing to make of your situation is extraordinary. It's It goes beyond the, the stupid euphemism of lemonade from lemons. It really is. And, and the fact that I've known you for, what, like five years now or four years now, and this is the first time we're physically in the same place at the same time, miraculous, fantastic, and uh, I couldn't wish anything more fantastic on anyone else than Thank you. you. Thank Great. you. Thank you so Great. much. Thank you. Thank you. So you're going to stick around because you're here for a little while longer? Yes, I am. Okay. Yes. So let's uh, let's cue up our second guest here. Um, what what I'm, Now that I see you physically in person, here's what I'm uh, – Here's your intro, mu- intro music for uh, for you. Ready? Here we go. <laughs> Deborah Ludwig is the author of Rebirth, a leukemia survivor's journal of healing during chemotherapy, bone marrow transplant, and recovery. A blogger and the creator of the Writing for Your Life workshop, she is a First Connection and Advocacy Network volunteer for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society as well as a member of its Speakers Bureau. Ms. Ludwig is also an actor with credits in independent films, television, commercials, and the theater. Please welcome the gorgeously fantastic Deborah Ludwig. Well, thank you so much for that. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. The rest of us have just been asked to leave the room. (laughs) Did it get hotter in here? So I, it was funny because before we were like, you know, because this room, we're, we're, we're chock full in this room tonight. We've got a full studio here. Mm-hmm. And we're all cancer survivors. And it's, it's incredible. And um, except for Jack. Jack's been lying about this the whole time. But in any case. I have a microphone. Not that <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. This is taking away. Give that mic back. No. <laughs> actually, this is genius. The taking away of Buffard's mic. Yes, this is this fantastic. the best thing we've ever done. This is like a Bill O'Reilly thing to do. You cut his mic. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I should have thought of this sooner. Yes, you should have. Yeah. You should have. Well, Deborah, yes, you are. Um, you're lovely. I, I, it's been a pleasure getting to know you. Get it out, man. You are. I adore you. You're fantastic. <laughs> oh, thank you. I, I adore you It's a shame that I'm married and my wife is listening right now. <laughs> but you are a, a young adult survivor. You are an author. You are um, just a, a conceptual ex- executor of, of. You're a facilitator of community and, and creativity. And I was very impressed with the writer's workshop, and I just wanted you to briefly tell us your story and uh, how you got into writing and then into the workshop. Well, um, I've been journaling for years. I started in 1992 when I was in a play in college. Um, It was Letters Home by um, Sylvia Plath, and this was basically letters that she had written uh, to her mother um, from the time she entered Smith College in 1950 until she committed suicide in 1963. And while I was doing research for the play, um, I came across a journal of hers, and I was hooked. So I went out and bought my first journal and started writing um, from then. And throughout the years, I've used my journal whenever I am working through any kind of situation that's problematic, to set goals, to deal with any you know, emotions that I'm going through that I need to figure out, you know, why am I afraid of this or why am I mad about this? Um, and just to record the events of my life, the very ordinary as well as the extraordinary. And so when I was diagnosed with leukemia back in 2003, 
I knew that my journal would be my constant companion, that this would be a place that I could write about my fears and my hopes and to record medical information as well as, like, I would go visit friends in the city whenever my counts were good and I didn't have to worry about getting infections. So I would record all the fun stuff that I was doing, trying to live my life while I was going through cancer. And the biggest the biggest exploration for me during this time with my journaling was I had been reading these books on healing and how biography can become biology, how holding on to past hurts and resentments can build up over time and cause illness. And this was a real revelation to me because I thought, hmm, I'm not sure if I believed that I had made myself sick, but I thought if I, can't, if I made myself sick, then <laughs> I can make you myself can, well. Uh, and that was very empowering for me. And for someone who's a little bit of a control freak, that was really appealing. So I set about really writing about things in my past that I thought I had let go of, but I really hadn't. And while I was doing that, I came up with the idea to write a book based on my journal that I thought could help other cancer survivors and their loved ones going through similar circumstances. And then a couple years later, when I was well again and working, I was off for about two weeks. And as I was making revisions to my book, I thought, what else can I do to you know, help cancer survivors? And I realized that through the journaling, I could maybe create a journaling workshop. And so I sat down one afternoon and just kind of outlined the project, about two hours, printed it off, took it to Meg Harrison at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We love Meg. Yes, we do. She's wonderful. And um, at that time, they didn't have any extra money for programming or anything, so it kind of got put to the side, and that was in 2008, January 2008. And in 2009, I actually did a couple, not really workshops, but more discussions at Hackensack University Medical Center in New Jersey where I was treated with a breast cancer survivor group and then also a life after stem cell transplant group. And then last August, Meg contacted me. They had been on a retreat at the LLS trying to come up with more creative programs they could offer their patients. And she called me and said, hey, are you still interested in doing the journal writing workshop? And we started it this January. So just, just to be clear, you went on a sort of liturgical purge of your <laughs> very much of your 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 pre- preceding negativity if yes, you would. Yes, there you okay. go. There you go. I think that's so interesting. I mean, I had a very similar experience mm-hmm. where I thought I had so much stress in trying to build my career in my 20s that that stress had created the cancer mm-hmm. and so I beat up on myself, but then I thought, well, if I cause this, then let me flip that around right. and say that I can cure myself mm-hmm. and kept a journal as well for the days that I was able to do it yeah. and we emailed a little bit about this you and mm-hmm. I before the show but that that notion of kind of creating your own narrative regardless of what the doctors tell Absolutely. you you know I mean I sat down and wrote dying is not an option mm-hmm. I didn't know it you know nobody had said I didn't knew very little about my diagnosis at the time but the day I got the diagnosis I came home and wrote that because I needed to see it in black and white Similar feeling for you where this is like, I'm, I'm going to, regardless of what someone tells me, I would like to write my story and Absolutely. have it play out this And I way. think that, you know, that is such a positive thing to do for yourself. And that's kind of where Writing for Your Life Workshop title came from. Um, when, I was, when I look back over my years of journaling, uh, particularly when I look at setting goals for myself, and I go back and read the journals, all of a sudden it's like, oh, my gosh, that happened. 
that came true. I made that happen. So I felt like I was writing my life. And so when I got sick, for me, it was basically taking this, all of this that was happening and basically writing for my life. So Yeah. So this isn't quite the secret, is it? <laughs> well, not really, but it kind of has elements of that. Okay. I mean, it really does. Okay. It's, it, it, imaging and just... Like you didn't sketch a house you're going to live in in 20 no. years, right? Okay. <laughs> Maybe I should do that. Right, right. <laughs> and, cer- and certainly you must have had days, as I did, and I'm sure many people do, where it's just all too terrifying and overwhelming, and you've got to leave it alone and Absolutely. not go to the laptop. Absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, you, those are the days you just kind of relax and, and re-energize yourself by just laying around and doing nothing and hoping that, you know, in a few days you feel... Jack lays around and does nothing all the time. <laughs> yeah. Poor Jack. He's creating his own reality. <laughs> Very good at that. But this is, this is not quite, you know, it's not as sort of, um, I don't want to say watered down as, you know, um, you know uh, I forget whether, like, ah, I lost it. Never mind. Brain cancer. <laughs> Chemo brain. I didn't realize I was contagious. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not quite like um, you know the power of positive thinking right. because that's a little watered down. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. much more of a spiritual connection with your your intentions and your motives and your perception of the universe around you. Exactly. Exactly. Is there ever? There's one thing about journaling and writing for yourself, and then publishing a book, which you did also. Talk about. Is there ever, or was there any struggle for you between? The, the private writing and the public writing in terms of how much you wanted to divulge and where do you cross the line? Do you want to share things and help other people? But at the same time, it's very difficult to mm-hmm. sort of open yourself up in that way. It was interesting because a lot of what I wrote in the book, per- personal stuff, the way I felt about things and things that happened, um, I didn't really do a lot of editing about. I mean, I, of course, I edited the book because you want to read well whenever someone is reading it. Um, but... As far as, I guess, editing it, um, that was the 2004 presidential election year. And for me, I'm pretty liberal. And so um, I would write about things that I didn't like that was happening and sometimes really scathing. And um, I took a lot of that out of the book. Not completely because that's who I am, but I took a lot of it out that could be polarizing because the thing I didn't want is someone – to be reading it, have a different political ideology than get me. Get tripped up and sidetracked from think, the message. You know right. what? This is this is garbage. I'm going to throw it away because that's not what it was about. But during that year, those are things I was journaling about, right. and so those are the things that I kind of removed from it because it didn't wasn't helpful. Right? Did you hold back anything personally, or no? Did you put it all out there personally? Was there anything you thought I, I'd rather keep this to myself? Well, you know, it's interesting. There was a guy that I was actually. Um, interested in at the time we'd been in an acting class together and i write about him a lot in the book and he's married now and uh he found out that you know i had had this little crush on him and i told him after the fact i said well now that you're married i can tell you that i did have this crush on you and you need to know this because if you read the book you're you're gonna see it his, is that his, his actual name's in the book it is yeah, yeah. So, and this, this wasn't sex in the city no. It wasn't big? Okay. <laughs> no, no, okay. no. This was very innocent. And, of course, I was too afraid to make a move because, you know, I had cancer. Who wants to be stuck with a little girl with cancer, you know? Matt's but. hoping he makes it into your next book, by there the way. If you didn't pick that up. <laughs> Are you kidding? I'm already in her book. Absolutely. Yeah? Yeah. yeah? yeah. Oh. Your address book. <laughs> nice. Right. So as far as the um, the writer's workshop, you were mentioning before that you had a small group, a very intimate group mm-hmm. of young adults and um, that it, it just completed, and your impressions of it as sort of a 
sort of a rough draft or a, perhaps an aperitif to a larger initiative? Um, we'll see. We're we're doing kind of this was a pilot um, right. program kind of, and we're hoping to do the second one sometime in the beginning of May. But what was really great about it is that I had thought about capping the workshop at ten people, and I ended up having five. And I really think that five was the perfect number because it it was such an intimate group, and people were so willing to share what they had written. And I always tell people, you don't have to share if you don't want to, but we can all learn something from each other. And I always told them, too, write without censoring yourself. I don't care what you share with the group, but when you're writing, be really honest with yourself and what you're feeling through all this because that's where the healing comes from. That's where you get to the heart of if you have any issues that you're going through. And never send the email. <laughs> Never click send. There you go. <laughs> if I can impart one chunk of wisdom to the universe, it's don't click send. Very true. Yeah. Well, uh, we're out of time on this one, but you're sticking around too because we are. We had a full house here on the Stupid Cancer Show. Um, Deborah, you're fantastic. We oh, look forward thank to you having so much you for having on me. our survivor panel at the OMG conference. I'm looking forward to that too. So you, you get a round of applause here, and as we switch seats. So, uh, not to make our final guest on the show feel any less loved than I've given to our gorgeous ladies here tonight. Dr. Laura Lieberman is an attending radiologist in breast imaging and the director of women's faculty affairs at Memorial Sloan Kettering. She has written more than 100 scientific papers, lectured around the world, and helped develop a non-surgical method to diagnose breast cancer. New York Magazine has named her one of the best doctors in New York, my old job, after being a cancer doctor at Memorial Sloan Kettering for 17 years. She was diagnosed with lymphoma and treated at her own hospital. She wrote a book about her experience called I Signed as the Doctor, Memoir of a Cancer Doctor Surviving Cancer. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Dr. Laura Lieberman. Hello, Laura. Hello. Thank you. I feel the love. Yeah, we have we to spread it around. Yeah, yeah, we have to spread it around. Lots of love. Now, your story obviously is, is equally fascinating. But there's always such an interesting sort of flavor when the doctor becomes the patient. And if you could just tell us a little bit about what it was like dealing with cancer patients and then your diagnosis and that other side of the coin experience that is is oh so unique but incredibly valuable. Well, that was a very interesting part of the experience. I had been a doctor at Sloan Kettering for about 17 years, and I started to have some numbness and tingling in my left arm and uh, had a bunch of tests and uh, many tests later was diagnosed as having lymphoma, which was stage four. It was in my lymph nodes, my bone marrow, my spinal cord, and the fluid around my brain. And um, so I suddenly went from being a doctor caring for cancer patients to having cancer. And I knew I wanted to be treated at my hospital because I love the people at my hospital. I think they're terrific and where else would I go? Um, 
so, but from the beginning, it was very odd to be a cancer patient where I had been a cancer doctor for so many years. It's a little like being in a play where you know all the lines, but they're having you read the wrong part. Yeah. And, you know, I think as doctors, you sort of, as a doctor, you sort of feel like wearing that white coat makes you immune. It confers some kind of magical resistance, like cancer is something that happens to other people but couldn't possibly happen to me. Hmm. And... Early on, I, I always had loved to write. I wanted to write about my experience. I thought it would help me deal with it. I didn't know whether it was going to be for public consumption or just for me, although I thought I had, I was learning a lot of things while I was going through it. I thought it might help other people, and one of the things about going through something like this is that you want your experience to somehow benefit other people so that, you know, there's some sort of justice in the universe. So I started writing about my experience, and um, I initially wrote, uh, about it, wrote it as emails to a friend of mine where I would tell her stories and um, and uh, and then uh, I kept doing it and by the end of my treatment which was six months um, I had written a thousand pages. <laughs> That's amazing. And a very gun with the wind of you. I, I, I cut it down a lot because right. nobody wants to read a thousand pages. <laughs> tell tell us about tell people. The title of the book is I Signed as a Doctor. So tell people what that means. Well, originally I was going to, I thought I might call it Both Sides Now, you know, like the Joni Mitchell song. <laughs> right. I've looked at life on both sides now. But I went on Amazon, and there's like a million books. First, I thought I could get the rights from, from Joni Mitchell's people. Yeah. But um, then not? I went on Amazon, and there were all these books called Both Sides Now. There was Both Sides Now, Living and Dying in San Francisco, and Both Sides Now, A Study of School Desegregation's Graduates, and Both Sides Now, The Arab-Israeli Conflict, and my personal favorite. <laughs> Both sides now a man's journey through womanhood. Well, so I really Jack the Jack Buffard story. I'm actually going through that right yeah. now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't want people to be thinking they were getting one of those books and end up with mine by mistake. So I thought I have to come up with another <laughs> <Awkward>. title. <laughs> so, um, so when I first started having all these tests when I was being diagnosed, they would bring me the consent form. And, I, you know, there's a part where the doctor signs and a part where the patient signs. Well, I always sign as the doctor because right. that's my part. So I did that. And then they said, you know, no, you've you got to sign as a patient now. So that's what led to the title of the book. Now, of course, that I'm back on the doctor's side, now I sign as a patient. So I'm just <laughs> never going to get this. You're all straight. mixed up. I'm all mixed up. So the book is basically, and I have a, I have a signed copy here. I'm so uh flattered. I can't wait to, to dive through. It's, it's basically, it includes all these series of emails that you've written to various people in your life. Explain a little bit about the content of the book. The, uh, most of the emails are written to a friend of mine named Jen, who um, uh, was a very close friend of mine, but we kept in touch mostly through email, so I could tell her all of my stories. Um, and when I organized the book, in addition to having it just be the emails that I sent, I organized it into chapters, and each chapter sort of has a take-home message that was sort of like the, the key point that I wanted to emphasize. Like, for example, um, uh, one of the – and I have at the end, if you don't want to read all the text of the book, uh, I have lists for cancer patients, for their loved ones, advice for doctors. I have lists of suggested reading and listening and music and – um, uh, advice for doctors, how to better care for patients and all that stuff. But so I would have a take-home message, like one of the take-home messages was, um, uh, look at this as an opportunity to get new hats. And I tell a story about how when I was diagnosed and I knew I was going to have chemo and lose my hair, I went online with my daughter and we found this um, website of this woman who made these absolutely beautiful hats. 
and I called her, her name was Christine, and I, I saw she had a studio in New York, and I called her up and I said, um, Christine, I, I see that you have beautiful hats. I'd, I'd like to come and look at your hats. And she said, I really only deal with buyers. Are you a buyer? And I said, no, but I'm a doctor at a cancer hospital, and I have cancer, and I'm going to lose my hair. And if I wear your hats and look fabulous, you will sell a lot of hats. That's nice. Right. And she said, what time would you like to come in? Fantastic. <laughs> great. So, Always be closing. That's right. That's right. So, um so I tell the story about the hats. And, and you've got a picture of yourself surrounded by hats on well, the Well, I was going to ask about the book cover. I didn't yeah. realize you were so inspired by Jack's living room. <laughs> yeah. Jack, I didn't know. Healing through humor, hats, and hope. Well, actually, I, the hat story was kind of very important to me. That, the hats were so wonderful for so many reasons because it gave me something to look forward to every day. In the morning, I had to decide, you know, what hat am I going to wear? It also was a great conversation starter with people because whoever's a cancer survivor out there and you guys, one of the issues you deal with when you have cancer is not only do you have cancer, but you have to go out of your way to make everybody else feel okay about the fact that you have cancer. <laughs> Absolutely. You right. know, like the people who really care about you and they just don't know what to say. Like yeah. how many times can you say, you look great? Right. <laughs> so, you know, so when people would like stare at me and have no idea what to say, I could always say, do you like my hat? And then they're going to say, I love your hat. And then we could have a conversation about the hats. So it was an incredibly helpful thing. So I actually, there's a series of paintings by Degas um, at the milliners, at the millinery, the milliner shop, with these beautiful pictures of right. hat stores. And I actually wanted to use one of those paintings. And the one I liked best, there's a whole series, the one I liked best was at the Art Institute of Chicago. So I called them up and I said I wanted to use this painting. And they wanted to charge me a fortune. Uh. So my mom is an artist, and she said, why don't you go back to the hat store and take a picture of you looking like the Degas painting? That way you don't have to pay anybody. My mom is so smart. So this so is that's actually, what we did. I just went to the artist in Chicago. So this is actually that uh, sort of a simulation of that Degas painting yes, of you with the hat. Yeah, it sort of posed, you know, yeah. the photographer. We had the picture, and we kind of set it up that way. Smart. And actually, some, the, it's a photograph, but he airbrushed some of the hats, so it sort of looks like I walked into the painting or whatever. And he, the photographer, uh, his name is Rick DeWitt. He did a fantastic job. But anyway, um, that's what inspired the title of the book and the cover of the book. So this is outside of the writing per se, but you have to tell us what is the single biggest sort of takeaway or unexpected um, experience that you had being on the flip side, on, on the other side as a, as a cancer patient that you wouldn't have expected being a doctor? Well, there's a few things. Um, probably the most important thing is, is that it's really important to savor celebrations. There were a lot of things, good things, that happened in my life in that period. You know, my husband had his 50th birthday, and it was our 25th wedding anniversary, and my son graduated from high school. There were a lot of wonderful things. And I think it's really important to, to, you know, to, to embrace those moments because not just because it's a distraction, but because it's the point. You know, your life is going to be full of a lot of crap that's going to come up with or without cancer. And the way you make it good is by, you know, putting good stuff into it. And I thought that was really important. Another thing I learned is as a doctor, I had always, you know, encouraged patients to take it one step at a time. You know, don't do, I, I do breast imaging. I do breast needle biopsies. I'm often in the position of telling women that they have breast cancer. And sometimes when you tell a woman she has breast cancer, she immediately jumps to, you know, am I going to need chemo and am I going to lose my hair and am I going to do this and am I going to do that? And it's hard enough to deal with each step. 
And if you try to anticipate five steps in advance, in medicine, there's not really much point because in medicine, each outcome of each test determines determines what decisions you're going to have to make in the next step. So you waste a lot of energy worrying about all these decisions that you may never even have to make. Now, that said, I've been telling patients that for years, that's a whole lot easier to say than actually to do. Right. So, you know, I realized how important it is, and I realized how difficult it is. When I was first diagnosed, and they told me I had a 50% chance of being dead in a year because I had a very aggressive lymphoma. That is the best kind of doctor. Yeah. (laughs) We want doctors like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I thought... Um, you know, maybe I don't want to get treated. This chemo stuff looks really unpleasant. You know, if I'm going to die anyway, I might as well go home. And I had a really dear friend who also was a cancer survivor, and she said, listen, you don't have to sign up for the whole thing. You're going to start. You're going to start and give it a try and see how it goes. You can always stop, but you're going to start. You know, you take it one step at a time. There's a woman named Anne Lamott who wrote a fantastic book about writing called Bird by Bird. And she tells a story, the title story is about um, when her brother was a kid, he had to write a book report on all the birds in North America, and he was very upset. And her dad said to her brother, you know, why are you so upset? And he said, well, I'm writing a book report about all the birds in North America. And the dad said, well, what's the problem? And he said, there's a lot of birds in North America. And the dad said, well, you just have to take it bird by bird. So I think that was really, really good advice. That's pretty cool. I like that. Isn't that good? I had had an indirectly related question, which is, how fucking awesome is it that you were a New York Magazine Best Doctor of New York? Yeah, and that didn't happen until after I had cancer. It just goes <laughs> to show you've yeah. got to work hard. That's yeah. right. What does it take? You've got to pay your dues. <laughs> got to get some tenure. Get all that cancer PR. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Gets but so, in all seriousness, I, I know the people. At, a lot of my doctors were New York Best Doctors, and I know what it takes because there's a trillion doctors or actually a trillion Jewish doctors <laughs> in New York <laughs> that you're competing with. And honestly, I, when I saw that when I first was introduced to you through, through, through Lisa and just amazing, congratulations. Thank you. Officially. Belated. Thank you. Yeah. But. <laughs> Thank you. So anything else in the, that, you, um, that you change in terms of how you are a doctor now and dealing with patients, having... Well, I was always a big fan of numbing it up with lots of local anesthesia, but now I am a really big fan (laughs) of numbing it up. One thing I actually learned from the patient side is that, in general, as doctors, I don't think we're that great at dealing with pain, and I think cancer doctors in particular, and uh, I, I think sometimes we feel that killing the cancer is so much more important than a little bit of pain, that if it hurts, you should just suck it up. Hmm. And I think if you have to suck it up to cure the cancer, then you should suck it up. But if you can cure the cancer in a way that hurts or in a way that doesn't hurt or hurts less, seems to me the choice is clear. And even if one little procedure doesn't hurt a lot, over an entire course of treatment, it really adds up and gives the patient one more thing to dread. So, you know, I and one of the things in my book I say is I encourage patients to bring your own anesthesia. Hopefully nice. that's not going to be necessary. <laughs> I even say which anesthesia to get and how to use it. So Wow. I have one other really compelling sort of uh sort of like a doppelganger by shared kind of thing that Lisa and I share. And she, she if I may, you emailed me this morning. We were both aspiring musicians and lost the use of our left hand. Well, uh you too. Wow. You were also? No, not, not me. Oh. Not Lisa, me. 
I read. You, I, I'm Laura. I'm Laura. I said Laura. I meant Laura. Yeah, that's okay. I I read Matt's story and I read about how he had trained to be a concert pianist and his initial symptom was in his left hand. And I had also, when I was a kid, I had trained to be a concert pianist and my first symptom was loss of dexterity in my left hand, which I actually I haven't been playing the piano so much. I noticed it when I was doing breast needle biopsies, but still, um, with the treatment that. But got it requires better. every bit as much dexterity. Yes. As playing piano, and you probably notice it right away. Yes, I did, and it didn't show up on any tests. I, you know, it wasn't picked up on any tests, but I knew, I knew that it wasn't doing what I, my left hand wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. Yeah. It was more work to get it to do what had been just natural before. And wow. the fact that your father studied with Vladimir Horowitz's teacher. My my dad. Envy. <laughs> My dad um, had wanted to be a concert pianist, but he grew up really poor in the Depression, and he thought it was important to earn a living, so he, he didn't pursue that. But we used to play two piano stuff together. He, he actually is um, the person who motivated me to go into medicine, and I write about him a lot in the book also. Wow. Well, we should, because I know the clock is ticking here, we should wrap this up with, it, with, it, with the writing question, the topic of our show. So what advice for folks out there who want to write? I have a friend right now who you know, wants to blog and wants to journal and Go through going through their illness, and they don't know where to start. They don't know they're shy. They don't know should they do a private, should they blog. What I found. What are your thoughts? Doing it in email was an incredibly easy way to do it yeah. because um, because I was never sitting down to write the great American novel. I, I, there was no um, you know pressure about it. There was no writer's block because I wasn't point. writing. I was just sending an email to Jen. And, you know, I would tell the story to several different people several different ways, and when I finally put it together to make the book, I could choose from the best, you know, way that I had told the story. So I found that was a very helpful way. It sounds like Deb's class is a wonderful way to do it if you can be in a forum where you can share with other people who you feel comfortable with. I think that's a great thing. After I was done uh, with my treatment and when I wanted to make it into a book, I took a workshop at Gotham Writers Workshop, and I, you know, worked with people in that setting. So... I think however you feel comfortable getting started doing it is, is, is a really good thing to do. So at the end of the day, it's really like whatever works best for you, but know all your options. Yeah. Right. Like well, a good lesson for anything in life. Yeah. Yeah. Except for Jack when he goes to Pizzeria Uno. Okay. <laughs> Awkward silence. <laughs> do, 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 but again, we like that. He doesn't have a mic. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this works well. <laughs> best show ever. This is the best show ever. <laughs> Best show ever. No yeah. Jack before. Yeah. Well, honestly, yeah, uh, this is this has been a really great show. I think giving our listeners out there uh, an appreciation for how meaningful it can be spiritually, personally, uh, cathartic to express yourself, share your story. Uh, it is empowering, and whether you're a musician, who um, what? Look at the chat room. What happened? I, the, the shirt showed up on MTV. Oh, all right. Quick non sequitur, brief because we got to close the show. MTV True Life tonight, and it's repeating, is a transplant survivor wearing an I2I t-shirt the whole time. So one of our guys on MTV wearing a shirt. Anyway, end of non sequitur. We just got that live with the chat room. But that I always like to say that the art of survivorship is how you choose to get busy living, and that involves being creative, expressing yourself, sharing your story, and a willingness to acknowledge your own creativity. So I think every one of our guests tonight have done that incredibly well and are emblematic of exactly what it means to be a cancer survivor. Well put, Matthew. And on that note, it is now time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets 
Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, folks. That's tonight's show. I hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. I'd like to thank our guests, the lovely and talented Jennifer Goodman, Lynn, Deborah Ludwig, and Laura Lieberman. What a great show. Next week's show, Stupid Colon Cancer. With Molly McMaster, founder of the Colon Club. Brian Novak, young adult colon survivor and the designer of Elevated Media. And Erica Paul, young adult survivor of colon cancer and an advocate for Team Fabulous. If you've missed any of our previous broadcasts, check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com or subscribe to our podcast at itunes.i2y.com. Remember, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. We'll see you all back here next week, my friends, live from the chemo deck. Jack Lufard, Lisa Bernhardt, Amanda Freeman, Captain Stooping and I wish you all a great evening. Go to bed, Dory. Bocker out. Happy St. Patty's Day. Wish me luck. Say goodbye to Jack Lufard. I'm going running. On a friendly show.